Well, good morning. Well, good to see everyone out here this morning. Maybe some of you didn't know that I was the one preaching and not Jeff, but I still appreciate you being here this morning either way. <laughs> and yes, I wasn't going to mention anything about any football game yesterday, but um, it didn't turn out so well, but that's okay. We're in game four and there's still some more to play. And I'm just glad we're going to have a few. Have a few games ourselves. So let's go to Jonah chapter one, if you will. And as you're turning there, I have to say I am beyond excited. Like I'm going to calm myself down to preach this message because this study began like a year ago. And um, I, there were several other times. I think I've preached twice, maybe three times since then. And I have wanted to preach this. And the Lord says, no, you need to work on this so you can preach that. And then about a month ago, in kind of beginning to think about what's next, as far as in the preaching, the Lord said, okay, you can do Jonah now. And man, I got super excited. And then about a, last week at the end of Jeff's message, I got to looking down. If, you, if you're following in Matthew 12, you're going to hear about Jonah again next week. Now, you're going to hear it from completely different perspectives and different parts. We're not going to talk about the most famous, really, part of Jonah today. Okay, what we think about when we think of Jonah. And many times when we think of Jonah, we think of a children's story. It's a Bible story first and foremost. It's in the Bible. We think of, oh, the big fish in the boat. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Jonah hanging out in the belly. Not much today. Because there's so much more to this book. So much more. I titled this message... The SS Sovereignty. I actually, I had a different version of a title. I, I will be full disclosure here. I don't like sermon titles. I'd rather just say, okay, we're going to Jonah today, and we're going to talk about Jonah. Or, you know, um, maybe not should have said that. That was a meeting. We talked about that. But and originally, it was a lot longer, the title to the message. And um, someone in my family who is a great filter said, that's way too long. <laughs> and so we talked, and we went through, and I was like, oh, We'll just leave it at the SS Sovereignty, because that's what this beautiful book is all about. Do not get lost in the fish and Jonah, and we're going to talk about the sailors today who don't get talked about a lot, but actually play a major part in this. As we're going through, I want you to think about one thing. God is sovereign over all. God is sovereign over all. God is the star of this book, and he's absolutely the star of Jonah. Even though it's not, it, the, this book isn't called God the Star, it's called Jonah. And next week, we're going to hear a little different perspective. As Jonah's mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus himself mentions Jonah, that he preached a message of repentance. And uh, that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So we're going to read the whole chapter to get perspective. Do not get concerned about us going line by line. We're not going to do that. We're going to take more of a survey look, pull some truths out. And we'll be on to, on to the following week, okay? So Jonah 1 with me. Let's go through the book together, the first chapter together. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But quickly we see Jonah... In verse 3, he says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
We are obviously dealing, first of all, with a believer and a mouthpiece of God. Please catch that early and often here. He went down to verse, uh, continue verse 3. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that, the, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. He's a heavy sleeper. Verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. They said one to another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Such a beautiful little phrase here. It shows some faith. The next phrase. For I know it is because of me that this greatest tempest has come upon you. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Again, this, next, this, next, this fourth word of this next verse is just a beautiful word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What an interesting opening chapter to this very small book. The, the verse is about 48 verses in four chapters. And man, in one chapter, we've seen a person who's running from God, right? From the presence of the Lord, it says. Some of that, I think, is his perspective, right? When we read this, I want us to think through for a moment. Jonah is now far beyond in age from this event. He's writing it from a historical perspective. 
By the way, there are theologians today, and there are many of them, that believe this is all satire and allegory. Do not believe that. If this is satire and allegory, well, then why isn't Luke, right? Or the whole New Testament. When we pick up the Bible and read it, we have to believe what it says, right? Jonah is very transparent in his attitude, or what his attitude was during this, and into the events that took place. Now, you're going to get, Lord willing, the same biblical perspective. But even next week, I think Jeff will probably say to a degree, we're not looking to be Jonah's. But I will tell you, we are looking to the God of Jonah. And that's what I want us to get today. Because this beautiful picture of sovereignty, if you belong to God this morning, it should be an absolute comfort to you. That no matter where you are, God knows God's plan is going to be fulfilled. And if you belong to him, all right, you're going to follow what he, no matter whether you want to or not, in some form or fashion, going to end up getting on his plan and glory is going to be brought to him. And that's the same thing here in the book of Jonah. Glory, God's glory is all throughout this book. Number one today, belief without obedience is not effective. Belief without obedience is not effective. Now, I want you to think through this with me a moment as you're writing those words down, okay? There's belief, all right, then there's faith, and then there's trust, okay? What I'm saying is, as a person of God, I believe most people in the room that would be a child of his would say, oh, yeah, I believe that, right? It just like me would say, and I believe that a chair would hold me up. But of course, it isn't really seen until I sit in it. And there I've exercised faith. And more importantly, I've went beyond a step and exercised trust. In the first three verses, as he's running away, We'll find actually out in chapter 4, and we'll go there in just a moment. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He had great belief that God would do what he said he was going to do. And he didn't want that. Jonah did not want that. Before we go to uh, chapter 4 and verse 2, let's we'll pull this note up. He had faith that if he preached a message of repentance, the people would repent. And God would spare their destruction. Flip on over after you write that down. He had faith that if he preached a message of repentance, the people would repent and that God would spare their destruction. If you go to chapter 4 in verse 2, which in some Bibles may just be a page over, I want you to hear this. This is the first time we actually see this. And this is as he's wrapping up this letter, up this book up. He says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew if... If I make this trip to Nineveh where God's called me to, and I give them this, this message of repentance. By the way, you want to know how big the message was? It was two Hebrew words. Seven trans, if you translate those two Hebrew words, it was seven English words. Now, Nineveh is about 190,000 people, we believe. My man preached a seven English word message 
and people repented. Okay, that's pretty incredible. And we saw that in chapter 4. He knew all along, running off to, to uh, Tarshish, he knew what God was going to do. If I go here, they're going to repent. And I don't want them to repent. Wait a minute, hold up. He's, he's the mouthpiece of God. That's his whole life, is to deliver God's message. Why would he not want them to repent? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let's get to Nineveh just a little bit. Jonah believed that he could run away from God, from God's plan. Jonah really believed he could run away from God's plan. We're fleeing to Tarshish. And in just a moment, I want you to go ahead and pull the map up for me. I want you just to see this and get a visual of where we're at. Down here at the bottom, in that red area, that's where, that's where Jonah is from, okay? You see Nineveh there in the top right. So you see, water should never have been a picture of this story, okay? <laughs> Instead, when he was told to go to Nineveh, he says, nope, I'm out. I'm going the opposite way. He goes down to Joppa there, jumps on a boat. Of course, the boat, I believe, never made its destination. We'll get to that in a moment. But then if you look at where he thought he was going, Tarshish, it's directly opposite of where God had called him to go. Why is all that important? Why did I want you to see that? Okay? We know from this story he can go as far as he wants to go. God's going to get him back to where he wants him to be because he belongs to, because he belongs to God. What does that say for me and you? Oh, we may physically feel like we can run. Okay? We may physically feel like we can hide from God's presence. In fact, the passage says more than once, flee the presence of the Lord. I really think that's from his perspective. Because me and you sitting right here, and we're not going to talk about this week yet. We're going to talk about just right here. We know we can't flee God's presence. We know that where we are, God knows. God's eyes are everywhere. He thought, I'll tell you what, they want me to go to Nineveh. God wants me to go to Nineveh. No, I'm going the furthest away possible. It's also interesting, okay, in dealing with Nineveh, we're talking about a people that absolutely hated Israelites. We're going to find in just a moment that Jonah was a phenomenal Israelite. A lot of Israelites would have agreed with what Jonah was doing. Why? We'll get to that in just a moment. He thought he could escape God. This story, though, actually illustrates Psalm 139, 7 through 10. But this is the opposite perspective of this. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. We'll read that. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Again, sitting here, it's a comfort to know there's no place we can go, that God's not there with us. Whether it's a hospital bed, whether it's a difficult point of life, when you're, God, do you even understand? Are you here? Do you see? You can't get away from him. And that's a blessing. Jonah, Jonah, by the way, I believe mentally knows this. 
while physically he's doing something different. He was a mouthpiece of God. He knew he couldn't run. But that's what sin does to me and you, right? It deceives to a point that we find ourselves in a place that we thought we would never be. And especially if it's that hidden sin. Oh, God doesn't see this. Nobody sees this. Ooh, that's a scary place to be, to believe that. And if a man of God, now he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, right? But if God's man can believe that, I can guarantee you I can believe that on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Friday, depending on what I'm spending my time on. Oh, oh God, I know I need to get to this, but you'll understand. You don't really, you're not really paying attention to me. You've got so many other things to be concerned with than me. It really is a comfort, and I encourage you to spend some time in that passage a little bit, because that's a comforting thought that no matter where I go, God's there. So let's talk about Nineveh just a little bit. So why Nineveh? Now, I hinted at this just a moment ago. Jonah was a phenomenal Israelite. In fact, I'll tell you this. What I really wanted, I wanted a hat. And I wanted this hat to say M. I-G-A, making Israel great again. Because if Jonah lived right here, okay, or let's put Jonah in Israel, right? If Jonah were to live in Israel, he would have made a great American too, man. Now, let me say this up front. I pray that we all go to the ballot box if you've not been. We're going to actually give you some resources in the coming weeks that have just a party perspective. It will not have any person's name. I encourage you to take the Bible or take biblical principles as you go into that ballot box. And please exercise the gift that is to vote. Because all over the world, in just two weeks or so, a couple days, did you know all over the world they'll hold almost like little mock versions of a vote in those countries where they're not allowed to? They'll have a red, white, and blue flag. Many of them will put a little ballot box, like a little cardboard box, and they'll go through the exercise of pretending to vote. Why? Because they watch us and get to see us, the privilege to be able to do that. But also let me warn you in just a moment. No matter who or what is going on politically, God is who he is. God's absolutely in control of this. And that is a comforting thought. We as Christians should not run from sovereignty. We should run to it. In moments when we're suffering and struggling, in moments when we just cannot figure it out, don't try to. Just trust that God has. Too many times we, we try to take our thinking and put it in the Bible. I can tell you the reason I'm, I have fallen in love with this book is not because of Jonah and a whale and, and a boat. It's because my God's in control. And if he's in control of this situation, I know he can handle my day. Now, I'll need to remind myself of that throughout the week because there'll be things that will come in front of me. Maybe you have that issue too. But when it comes to voting, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you. My, every time I go to vote, I'll tell you, I think of one person, my family, my, great, I mean, my grandfather was aboard the USS Wisconsin in World War II. And every time I stamp the name of the person that I believe God wants me to vote for, I immediately think of him. And I've done it every time. We don't miss votes in my house for that one reason, that my grandfather, he did not die in that. I remember him telling me just a few stories about that. 
But I thought, man, what a sacrifice. Jonah here would have been a phenomenal American. Because let's get back to my point, why Nineveh? First and foremost, this Assyrian Empire represented the wickedness and brutality. This ancient city had one of the most sordid reputations in all the Bible. They hated Israelites. They hated Israelites. By the way, back to our overarching point here. Isn't it awesome that people I don't like, God still loves? Isn't it awesome, my enemies, that, oh, that person's against me. God still loves that person. So Yahweh's pronouncement, he had made this judgment. God's pronouncement of judgment on these people was before Jonah. And Jonah would have said, hey, man, burn them. I'll give you the, I'll give you the light. I'll give you the, I'll give you the tree. We can set them on fire. Again, wine in of a second. Assyria in this 8th century was Israel's most bitter enemy. This was evidenced by our man Jonah's response. I'm not going there. I'm going to the opposite. I'm going as far as I can away from this place. They don't deserve you, God. They don't deserve your grace. And I know if I go, you're going you're gonna to save them again. And they don't deserve it. Hey, I don't deserve it either. I don't deserve it either. There are too many times before God, I'm like, what are we? I'm sorry, you have to put up with this. I really am, Lord. And yet, with a gracious hand, he lovingly brings us back. This is an interesting part to this part about why Nineveh. There's much thought about that the main reason for God wanting to reach these people is to show his own people the grace that he can give and honestly make them a little jealous. The Israelites will be like, hey, wait a minute. Why are you blessing them? Well, they've repented. It also is an interesting point that it points back to the Israelite people themselves that they themselves needed to repent. Oh, but Jonah, I really believe God wanted to make the Israelite people envious of an enemy. Envious. I can relate to him. I'm sure there's some areas where you can too. Number two, God is sovereign over all creation and will receive glory from all creation. God is sovereign over all creation and will receive glory from all creation. Now, we've got several verses. We're going to go back and hit these. Okay, so let's go to verse 4. This is what's so awesome about this, that we have this belief, real quick before I get to that, we have this belief that God doesn't care. He just drops us in a spot and says, all right, okay, God, you've got me. That's impossible if we read this. Verse 4, but the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship was threatened to break up. Now, if you've watched the cartoon, you've got the wrong visual of the ship. This ship was 25 feet long, more than likely. It was a Phoenician ship, 25 feet long, 20 feet wide. That is the reason you could be below deck and maybe not feel the storm. The ship was so big. 20 to 25 individuals would have, fit, would have uh, worked in this ship. And this particular ship is a big deal to the economy. 
if you read beyond and just kind of the, the, uh, the culture, more than likely this was one of the three times a year that this ship would return back to Tarshish, bringing items back that it had received in trade and sale, but also bring back gold, dollars, finances that it, get, that it had from selling, from selling uh, goods. And to think that God doesn't care about what we do, he's allowing Jonah to run. The idea of Jonah running from God is not possible. He's letting this happen. Why? Well, there was other people involved. These three... These three, the, the, um, these three times a year where they would travel. Here's another point to the storm for just a moment before we get to that. So if there's three times a year that all the, the, they would gather all these things, put it on this massive boat, 20 to 25 individuals would, would do the work for this boat, right? You would think they probably wouldn't go during storm time because there's no engine, right? They can't just like touch a button and nope. They relied on the, usually they relied on the one single sail, which means they needed wind and they needed good weather. Now to point A. Storm is our word there. Storm. These people knew what time of the year to get in the boat and go back and bring back what some believe is one-third of their economy. This is, the awesome, this is also the awesome part about this. Okay? Jonah thought he was fleeing Gentiles, running from them. And he actually ran into a boat full of them. This boat that was supposed to help him escape, right, was actually given opportunity for God to be glorified and and his truth to be spread. And then there's also this, even in Jonah's disobedience, God is pursuing him. God is pursuing him. What a picture of grace. Jonah says, I'm going far away. I'm going to get on this ship, and we're going to go as far as we can. And I'm not doing what you want to do, God. Nope. God says, no. You're going to expand the truth of who I am to those people on the ship. What an incredible thought. These sailors, I will tell you, these are my favorite people. We don't know much about them. You can look at them in historical perspective. They don't have a big part in this. But they're some of my most favorite people. Because it proves that not only does God have this enemy of Israelite people that God is trying to get the gospel to via Jonah, and he will get it done. But also these people on the ship matter too. And we saw in the passage, what do they do when the storm comes? Oh, uh, we need to call out to this God and call out to that God. Hey, um, everybody got your God? You're calling out that God? Please now, we need to be, we need to be saved. I, I'm, very, I'm very sure of this. They were less actually concerned about their life, okay? Because if they go back... With all, those, all that stuff that they had retrieved, if they go back to Tarshish with an empty, with an empty boat, could you imagine one-third of the economy gone? Actually, you probably can. <laughs> you probably can imagine it, right? Now, this is some conjecture. Okay, this is the new international Brandon version from just a moment. It's not found in here. But here's what I believe. I think he, they, those sailors never went back. Okay? Think about it. I got, I got 
this massive ship full of goods is to be sold. And I got one third of this entire economy and it's gone because I've thrown it overboard. What's the king going to do? It's going to be a bad day for those sailors. Now, I can't prove it, but I tend to believe that. The fact that this, this storm was so great, I love the word tempestuous that it uses there, is so great that they thought the ship was going to break in half. Again, some conjecture just a moment. This is more than likely like a hurricane in a non-hurricane season. This was real. Interestingly enough, again, God's sovereignty over the whole situation. God was willing to break a ship if necessary. Even though he knew the ship wouldn't break, he knew they would throw him over. Think about that just for one moment. God loves Jonah so much, he'll do whatever is necessary to bring Jonah back to what he wants to have accomplished. That is an awesome thought. That's an awesome thought. I, I tend to believe then, based on what this says, I can't run but so far. Either God's going to take me home or bring me back to where he wants me to be. Now, if you have children, that matters. If you have kids, that absolutely matters. Why? Because you can put into your children. I have seen parents that were just impact, like, like they're the standard, you know? They're the ones that the magazines write about. You know, this, well, they were the standard parent. And a child then, who ultimately is responsible for himself before the Lord, makes a decision to go completely against what the Bible teaches and maybe what was even put inside of them. But if they belong to God, you can rest assured. God's going to bring them back one way or the other. He's going to get glory for it. That is an incredible thought. The pagan response, they cry out to God's. They cry out to God's. This is interesting. Again, doing whatever's necessary. We can't lose anything. By the way, they've already thrown everything off the boat. Now it's about are we going to live or are we going to die? And then I love this idea. Now, you know what lots are. Jeff actually talked about this just a few weeks ago, months ago. It was similar to a dice game. And every person had a, had a spot. And they'd throw these dice out. Well, no, wait a minute now. God doesn't really care. He doesn't care what I do or where I go or what, what I'm involved in. He doesn't because he made all the dice go to Jonah multiple times. Right? And then use that. Now, I'll tell you, I don't understand that at all. I'm not really good at games that deal with dice unless it's like Monopoly, okay? <laughs> all right. Um, you'll never really see me in Vegas hanging out. I mean, look, I thought Georgia was going to win by 10 points yesterday. So you don't need to, you don't need to go by what I, what my prediction. That's why I'm not saying anything about the election. Let the, let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do. <laughs> Throw these dice out. Boom. All right, Jonah. This is you. This is on you, man. That is such a cool thing that he allows that. And by the way, that's not by accident. We've got to start believing what it says. Let's look at Jonah's response. Let's see. Let's go to... Let me pick this up real quick. Go to verse, verse 9. Now they ask all these questions. And here Jonah, who's running from God, this is how he responds. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Again, there's belief. The God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. 
because they knew the Old Testament. They may, have, they may have believed in many gods, but they also knew in Deuteronomy where it says, don't touch God's man. And don't touch an innocent, right? And they knew if they did that, what was the penalty? The penalty was that they themselves would be killed. It's also interesting that in the midst of a, of a deathly storm, here we have Jonah that believes, okay, I've tried every way out of this thing. Just throw me in the water. I'd rather die for my country than see another country go to heaven. That's a scary place to be. That at this point in Jonah's life, being an Israelite, all right, is much more important than being God's child. That's a scary place to be. But can I tell you, we can get there too. In fact, look back over your social media if you're into that and see how much you've Maybe just propagated some God's truth. Put a verse up. Say what God's doing in your life. Versus some political video. Or a share or a like or what you're interested in. Listen, these people are smart. They know millions upon millions of views. And I wonder, like, all that time that was put into that, if we put the same amount of effort about talking how good God is, we may not be as divided. So Jonah delivers this really incredible message here on the boat. And then so what do they say? Well, I'll tell you what, look, we got to throw him over. He's got to go. And the minute he touches the water, what happens? Storm gone. That's cool. The minute his head touches the water, the storm goes away. Now here's back to, my, again, some of my favorite people in this whole thing. These sailors then look to God and say, Whoa, Jehovah God. Now there's the real God. All these other, I don't know about all these others, but he's a real God. And we're going to sacrifice to him. We're going to make vows to him. More than likely, they did that after they arrived at whatever port they arrived at. Now, I am not saying that all of these people turned and looked at Jehovah God as Jehovah God. But what I do believe, when they went back home, do you think they kept that to themselves? So, honey, how was it on the water today? Oh, it's fine. Did you have a good day? Great, fine. I don't believe that at all. You'll never believe what happened. We thought we were going to die. We were in the middle of like a hurricane. We just throw this dude who told us that, ooh, he serves Jehovah God. We threw him over and all of a sudden, boom, it's peaceful. In fact, if you read on and study, the people of Nineveh had heard of this story before Jonah gets there. Which means God again... And his control and sovereignty is leading this whole thing. That by the time Jonah gets there to give his message of repent, they had heard of the storm. They had heard of the fish. And you think they believed? Yes. Which means, going back, this was God's ultimate plan. Not only to reach these people in Nineveh, but to reach their sa the sailors and family too. My prayer is that when we get to heaven, I'm going to get to meet one of these sailors. Because I like to have their perspective in like our 30D, you know, movie theater where you're like in it. You know what I'm saying? But I want to hear them talk about it and say, yeah, man, I was there. <laughs> I mean, you know, y'all called it a hurricane. That's kind of what we went through and all that. I want to hear that. I really do. Because I would be, again, if you do study, you would believe that none of already knew a lot of this by the time Jonah got there. He only needed a seven-word message. My message is a hair longer than seven words. <laughs> Letter C. Let's talk about the animals for a moment. This is so cool. This fish 
is known throughout the world. Also, just for some clarity, depending on what version of the Bible you have, you may say whale. I'm going to choose to continue to use the word fish because that word can mean three different things. It can mean, it can mean a whale, it can mean a big fish, or it can mean a leviathan-style animal, which I'll let you go where you want to go with that. I believe it's a fish. I'm going to tell you, this is a, one cool fish, though. And yes, I don't believe God created this fish out of the blue. All right, go get Jonah. Nope. I think the destiny of this fish from the time it was a tiny little fish. By the way, I'm super into fish. I can say fish like a hundred times, but I'm super into fish. Okay, I had aquariums growing up. Like I love them. You know, like you see these big whales go by. These little fish like nibble all over the skin of the whale. And the whale at any moment could go, that's it. But let me tell you this. If it was a sperm whale, which I don't believe it was, but if it was... God would have had to, there would have to be just a miracle in the fact that he could have swallowed a person. Their esophagus is too small. You can go study that. So we're going to go back with fish, just a moment, right? We're going to go back to fish. This fish is, this fish becomes world known. Why? Because as Jonah enters the water, I think, this is it, man, I'm dead. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Oh, no. <laughs> that must have been like the biggest oh no of all time. <laughs> Three days in stomach acid. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. The cool part of this is, though, in that verse 17, it says God had appointed. Again, all part of God's plan. Appointed. That word appointed, if you, again, you can stretch, well, not stretch it, but read out what it says. It actually says had appointed. Meaning this fish's whole total destiny was to get Jonah. That's awesome. Now, we went through some of this. I mean, we hit a lot of different little things. But now I want to talk about kind of specifically to us before I get to our last point. I'm sure you've seen that. We've got one point left. Yeah, not long today. Many times when we read the Old Testament, many times when we just open up the book, we take our theology and put it on the Bible instead of the Bible invading our theology Changing our heart to the Holy Spirit, which keep in mind, Jonah didn't have. We have that, right? A revealer, a teacher to what the Bible says. Jonah didn't have that. We have that. So don't look too bad on Jonah here. But if you go back and think about your life just for a moment, and think about all those times when you thought, God doesn't care about this. He doesn't really care. And what it led to. I'm going to give a couple of personal illustrations. First of all, here's one. Um, I mentioned before, we, we were... Uh, we were foster parents for four and a half years, and I'll admit, when we had to quit, I was really hurt by it. I didn't want to. I knew we had to. There's a variety of reasons where God made it very obvious to us. This time's done. I'm getting a, a little baby at the age that I wasn't necessarily prepared for um, help with that. But I remember, I was like, Lord, I think we failed. It's just four years. I know plenty of people in our own community. I mean, they've done this for 20 and 25 years, helped hundreds of children. Now, the world may not know them, but I believe they're a superstar. And yet, you only allow us to do this for four years. It's a lot of work for four years. Lord, can we not continue? No. But he also knew that I got a big mouth. And that I would talk to people about this over and over and over again and pray that the Lord would bring some more people around me that would get into, this, get into fostering. And listen, one by one, I, th I believe the total of seven families that we've had an opportunity to help on some level, whether it was answering questions, uh, encouraging, 
Um, you want to write a prayer request down? You want to pray for the foster families of our church in this community because it's very difficult to do that, especially in trying to live a Bible-led life, a Holy Spirit-led life. You want to pray for these people because they're in, they're in the battle, my friend. And I look back and I'm like, you know what? I wanted to quit. We needed to quit, okay? We needed to. It was obvious. I'm very thankful for what God did with it. But then now to see these other families... It's almost like God was saying, hey, they can do a lot more than just one family can. And you'll continue to encourage others, to pray for others, and we'll continue to, God will continue to bring healing, to rescue. Again, we had one perspective, but when you pull back, God's got a much bigger perspective. You may be running right now. You may think that you're completely out of God's view. And sometimes I will tell you, any person, you can fall into that. So if you're in a situation today, that you just, it's like, I don't feel like I deserve this. Wait a minute, remember, anything's better than hell, right? And heaven's a whole lot better than hell. We got a great deal. We didn't have to sit on that cross and take shame. I'm just saying, no matter where you are in life, God knows. It's a great thing that God knows. I remember being at work one day, and all of a sudden, I had some kind of heart-like deal. You know, like, I couldn't breathe. People around me think I'm having a heart attack. I wasn't, you know. I get to the hospital. And again, you're like, God, what are you doing? No, that was a very direct message, believe it or not. I can still remember being in the hospital bed. Bring up that last note, and I've got one more note today. This is a startling example of God's sovereignty over the natural world, from animals to the boat itself to the storm. But this is an awesome quote by R.C. Sproul, who he himself struggled, by the way, with God's sovereignty for a long time. God's mercy is also displayed as Jonah is saved in spite of his stubborn disobedience. In spite of of his stubborn disobedience. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to disciple and counsel a person. We went through about a good year and a half or so. And I'll admit, I came in thinking one thing. I had kind of a plan. I typically have a, a kind of a way of uh, counseling. And uh, was there for, like I said, a good year and a half. And I'll notice, by the way, if you're involved in discipleship or counseling, you'll, you'll get this too. As you're doing that, what happens? God begins to kind of work on you, doesn't he? Man, you're talking about one thing, and man, God keeps pushing. By the way, if you're not involved in discipleship or counseling, let me help you with that. We'd love, there's people in here that need to be mentored. There's people here that need somebody to disciple and to walk with them, and we can help you. I can promise you, because they tell me every week, I wish I had just one person that would disciple me, believe it or not. But in this situation, this, we went, like I said, for about a year and a half, and early on, God began to kind of work on me, something totally different than what we were going over together. You see, this person, like everybody else in the room that belongs to the Lord, had struggles and issues and sin, just like the person that was trying to minister to them. Now, yeah, there we go, sorry. I had a real issue. See, for over 20 years, I was deaf. 
Um, only like the decibel level, as far as what you can hear, my right ear was 85. It took 85 decibels for me to hear normally. My left ear was 80, excuse me, my right ear was 80. My left ear was 85. And at 17 years of age, I was told, you need hearing aids. And if you don't get it, by the time you get to a certain age, you'll have no hearing left. I remember I begged my parents, please don't make me wear those things. Please don't. I don't want to wear those. Things. I can hear just fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And I was annoyingly persuasive. And so they didn't. Years pass. It became a common thing in our house to have the TV at 50, 55, 60. Common that I would read lips. In fact, even today I'm trying to teach myself not to read lips, but I've done it for so long that it's hard to look at. When I, read, when I look at someone, I rarely look at them here. I look at them here because I'm trying to hear what they're saying via reading their lips. I don't have to do that anymore. But over that year and a half, God kept kind of hitting me over and over and over again. Your problem isn't hearing. Your problem is pride. Your problem is pride, Brandon. And I've sat this person here with you to remind you of that every single week. I remember about six months or so before I received hearing aids, I told Kristen, I said, I got to do something. <laughs> I'm, I'm here with this person, and we're going through this whole uh, part of his life, and man, God's all over me, because I just won't let go of something, let go of the fact that they're just these things in my ear that most people don't even see, but I was deceived. I believe God didn't know what he was talking about. I believed that how people looked in my ears was important. Let me just be real clear. Most people never get to my ears. <laughs> They don't. They're like, man, you're big, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then it's always, how long have you not had hair, you know? But I, I was deceived in believing something that wasn't true and very prideful about this. In fact, to the point that I thought, I'm such a good lip reader, it doesn't cause anyone any problems. That actually, it's not accurate. First of all, it drove my, my family insane that to scream, that to repeat over and over and over again, Right? In times when there'd be like a big crowd of people and I'd be in the back and somebody'd be blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Lord, I hope I know what they're saying because <laughs> I didn't want to tell them. You know? Well, the Lord works things out. In God's grand plan, God had Kristen go work for a hearing aid place. Let me tell you, that's not something we were necessarily looking for. We were just hoping the Lord would provide in a way and he provided this place. I was able to get hearing aids. And I will tell you, for the first time, it was a, really a different experience. I'm sitting in this room, and this person puts the hearing aids in my ear, Miss Vicky, unbelievable lady. And she says, tell me what you hear. I didn't know this right here was a sound. I'd never really, it'd been so long since I'd heard just your hand rubbing was a sound. I heard like things I had never heard before. And I'll admit, I began to like get emotional about it. I was like, this is incredible. I go home later that day, and I'd seen children out on the road, and kids playing in our neighborhood's a common thing, never associated a sound with it, until I heard them laughing. And I'll tell you, in a moment when I was thankful, I was also very disappointed in myself that I had allowed pride to rob me of something that God had. 20 years. My, my oldest is 11 years old. There were sounds I had never heard him make because I've heard his, the four-year-old brothers do things that I never thought were sounds. You see, pride had gotten in there to the point that it robbed me of a long time. Why? Because I wouldn't put nothing in my ears. I knew better. So we give Jonah really a bad rap here. We only know this portion of his life. We don't know what he did after. 
We do know one thing, though. The star of Jonah is God, that he was in control. So whatever you're running from today, I pray you get along with God even at the end of this message. Say, well, I'm tired of running. It's not worth running. You're in control of this. Whatever you're fighting, disobeying okay, the Lord in, I pray you say, Lord, he know, you know better because he does. He knows better and he is better. And no matter who he has planned to serve in leadership, you know what our responsibility is? Is to lift him up in prayer. Because the Bible says he holds, what he holds is it holds him in his hand. And wherever he goes, God's turning. Can you imagine that? That no matter who's in, who is in office in a few weeks, a few years, 10 years from now, our message is the same. Our message is Jonah's message. Repent. God's good. God is good. So I pray you've been encouraged this morning. And what would be a children's story, right? It's just, that's just for kids. No, no, my friends. In fact, I encourage you to read the whole book. Read it over and over again. And see how God used a man that didn't really want to be used. By the way, Nineveh did end up repenting because he went. And let me just tell you this. In American, you know, um, um, movies and whatnot, everything's always happy. My man still went happy at the end of this chapter, chapter 4. He was still upset they repented. Usually, in the end of all that, God said, hey, my will's going to be done. And he's going to be done for you. Now, there is possibly another group in here. And that would be those who don't know the Lord. Maybe you're saved and you believe it's up to you. But you have to work real hard. Work hard to do better. Now, I'm not telling you not to work. That's not, that's not what this is about. But it's knowing that no matter what we do, if we're obedient, we're faithful, we trust that God's in control, then we can bring him glory. And if you don't know him, we need to introduce you to him. You may have heard a lot about him. He tells you everything about him in his book, by the way. But he's a loving God who loves you and me more than we could ever love him back. Whose plan is so much greater than we can imagine for ourselves. He is good. He is good. Let's pray.